Uh, the title I've been given this morning was A Discipled Life Following When It's Hard. <coughs> I'm going to read a poem. I might get a bit emotional because it reminds me of me. Quit, give up, you're beaten. They shout at me and plead. There's just too much against you now. This time you can't succeed. And as I start to hang my head in front of failure's face, my downward fall is broken by the memory of a race. And hope refills my weakened will as I recall that scene. For just the thought of that short race rejuvenates my being. A children's race, young boys, young men, how I remember well, excitement sure, but also fear. It wasn't hard to tell. They all lined up so full of hope, each thought to win that race, or tie for first, if not, or if not that, at least take second place. And fathers watched from off the side, each cheering for his son, and each boy hoped to show his dad that he would be the one. The whistle blew and off they went, young hearts and hopes of fire. To win and be the hero there was each boy's, young boy's desire. And one boy in particular, whose dad was in the crowd, was running near the lead and thought, my dad will be so proud. But as they speeded down the field, across a shallow dip, the little boy who thought to win lost his step and slipped. Trying hard to catch himself, his hands flew out to brace. Amid the laughter of the crowd, he fell flat on his face. So down he fell, and with him hope. He couldn't win it now. Embarrassed, sad, he only wished to disappear somehow. But as he fell, his dad stood up and showed his anxious face, which to the boy so clearly said, get up and win the race. He quickly rose, no damage done, behind a bit, that's all, and ran with all his mind and might to make up for his fall. So anxious to restore himself, to catch up and to win, his mind went faster than his legs. He slipped and fell again. He wished that he'd quit before, with only one disgrace. I'm hopeless as a runner now. I shouldn't try to race. But in the laughing crowd he searched and found his father's face. That steady look which said again, Get up and win the race. So up he jumped to try again. Ten yards behind the last. I'm off to, um, if I'm to gain those yards, he thought, I've got to move real fast. Exerting everything he had, he regained eight or ten, but trying so hard to catch the lead. He slipped and fell again. Defeat. He lay there silently. A tear dropped from his eye. There's no sense running anymore. Three strikes, I'm out. Why try? The will to rise had disappeared. All hope had fled away. So far behind, 
so error-prone, a loser on the way. I haven't touched anything. Sorry about this. Right? I've lost, so what's the use, he thought. I'll live with my disgrace. But then he thought about his dad, who'd soon he'd have to face. Get up, an echo shout sounded low. Get up and take your place. You were not meant for failure here. Get up and win the race. I was walking over. (laughs) With borrowed will, get up, it said. You haven't lost at all. For winning is no more than this, to rise each time you fall. So up he rose to run once more, and with a new commit he resolved that win or lose, at least he wouldn't quit. So far behind the others now, the most he'd ever been, still he gave it all he had and ran as though to win. Three times he'd fallen stumbling, three times he rose again. Too far behind to hope to win, he still ran to the end. They cheered the winning runner as he crossed the line first place, head high and proud and happy. No falling, no disgrace. But when the fallen youngster crossed the line last again, last place, the crowd gave him the greatest cheer for finishing the race. And even though he came in last, with head bowed low and proud. You would have thought he'd won the race to listen to the crowd. And to his dad, he sadly said, I didn't do too well. To me, you won, his father said. You rose each time you fell. And now, when things seem dark and hard and difficult to face, the memory of that little boy helps me in my race. For all of life is like that race, with ups and downs and all. And all you have to do to win is rise each time you fall. Quit, give up, you're beaten. They still shout in my face. But another voice within me says, get up and win the race. I found that really moving to read that. Because life's like that, isn't it? We fall, we get up, we have disappointments. It isn't always easy. As you know, Tim and Brian and I recently completed our master's degrees. They weren't without difficulty, and at one time, Brian and I nearly gave up. But God challenged us to continue, not to give up especially as it tied in with the word that we'd be given on our wedding day about mission. We finished eventually and learnt so much on the way, but there were many times that I felt like giving up because I wasn't as good as the other two. 
I wasn't as clever. I was even upset over my final mark. The perfectionist in me wanted better. But I got good friends who said to me, look, you've achieved. You've done something you might not have done. It would have been so easy to have given up way, way back and not got what I got. And I would say to you, those who think I may appear to cope in every situation, be assured, I have my difficult times too. And when I have those difficult times, I take them to God. You might not know about them, because I try not to show. Maybe I should. Maybe people would see what I'm really like. But I allow God to deal with me. We were never promised an easy life, but we were promised that God would be with us, whatever. Brian reminded us last week that God's given us his Holy Spirit to mentor and help us in life. And in John we read that his Spirit is in us always. We're not alone. Even when we feel isolated, we are not alone because God's Spirit is in us. It's very reassuring, isn't it? It's encouraging to see that the Bible is full of people that went through difficulties. We're not the only ones that have difficulties. Right through the Bible we see lots and lots of stories. And I think I could spend hours talking about different ones. I picked up one or two. Joseph. Well, he was his dad's example. His dad's favourite. He told tales. It says Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Bit of a telltale. He was a bit of a boaster with his brothers too. I dreamt you all bowed down to me. No wonder they wanted to get rid of him. No wonder they didn't want him around. He didn't sound the particularly pleasant person. But in slavery, he didn't forget his heritage. And he did all he could to live a good life. Despite wrongful accusations and being thrown into prison, he still found favour with others. And we know that eventually he had a place of honour in Egypt. And his brothers ended up bowing down to him. And he was gracious to his brothers. He said, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. And later on he said, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good. In order to preserve a numerous people as he's doing today. So have my, no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones. In this way he reassured them, speaking kindly. There was no, well, you did wrong to me, I'm going to treat you like that. He was gracious and forgiving. And all the way through all the problems he had, he knew that the hand of God was on him. And he was able to live his life showing the hand of God on him. Some people had difficulties through their own making. Samson. He was to be a Nazarite and not shave his head. He was attracted by foreign women. He killed a lion with his bare hands. He was susceptible to the wiles of women and gave away his secrets. 
he ended up losing his strength and his sight and being in captivity. And it was there when he was really down that he remembered and he called to God yet again. And his strength was used to destroy many Philistines. His prayer was, Lord God, remember me and strengthen me only this once. So that with with this one act of revenge, I may pay back the Philistines. Despite his failings, God still used him. But he had to turn back to God first. David. I love the story of David. There are so many things we can learn from him. He was sidelined by his family. His dad didn't even include him when Samuel came to visit. His brother showed scorn when he went to the front line. Saul didn't even believe that he could help, but he was proved wrong. He was under a death threat because of Saul's jealousy, and he had to go into exile. And one day, even his own followers sought to kill him. He even fled a plot by his own son to take over the throne. Yes, David cried out to God in difficult times, but he also trusted God when facing danger. When he faced Goliath, he said, The Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of this Philistine. He knew who would help him. And then later on, when his own people turned against him, David was in great danger for the people spoke of stoning him because of all the people were bitter in spirit for their sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And I know I've used that before because it's one of those verses that I really find helpful. And it's a good reminder. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. When he was in trouble, he knew where to go. And we come to Elijah. Elijah spoke out against the behaviour of the king and had to go into hiding for some time. He challenged the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Jezebel threatened his life. And what did he do? He ran away. He was ready to give up. It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors. He'd had enough. He didn't want to get up and win the race. But God had other plans for him. He sent an angel who told him to get up and eat. Not once, but twice. He needed sustenance. And I believe that the best food we can have in our time of trial... It's the word of God. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Feed on him. But we need to feed on the word in good times as well as bad. So that when we face trials, we can say like Jesus, it is written. God gives us examples. God gives us the help. On Mount Horeb, God came to Elijah, not in the wind, or the fire, but the still small voice. If you have difficulty hearing, you will know that if somebody speaks quietly, you have to listen harder, or you just switch off. 
It takes practice and discipline to listen. Those of you who have done counselling training will know that this is one of the skills you have to learn because you need to be able to listen to other people. And we need to be able to listen to God. We need that skill. We need to practice that skill of listening all the time. Elijah listened and God reassured. You're not the only one. There are others who have chosen to serve me. Go back. I've got a job for you to do. Jehoshaphat. He started off well, removing the high places and worshipping God. And the kingdoms around didn't war against him while he was doing that. But his failing was to build a relationship with Ahab and to help him in war. And he found out the results. But when he was faced with invasion, where did he go? Straight back to God. He turned to God and said, We have no power to face this invading army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And God's response was, Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. In other words, trust me. How often God says that to us in difficult times. Trust me. I've known that in difficult times several, on several occasions. God said, just trust me. Not easy to do, but if you do, it's amazing the difference. The peace you feel for a start. So that's just what they did. They went into battle praising. And they found that the battle had already been won. In 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 we read, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds, mindsets. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We have to consider what are we thinking. Is it negative or is it positive? I'm the world's worst at putting myself down and having negative thoughts and I'm quite open to admit to it. How often I've said I'm no good, I'm a failure. But I've got a wonderful friend who will say to me on those occasions, don't talk about my sister like that. She's there as my encourager and I'm very grateful for it. We need each other. All of us need somebody like my friend to say, don't speak about my sister like that. Get up, win the race. Don't put yourself down. And Paul urges us to consider how we can encourage one another and spur one another on. And we can only do this when we spend time with each other and don't cut ourselves off. We need each other. We need that relationship with one another to encourage and be encouraged. Let's look at Paul. He started off persecuting Christians. He thought he was doing the right thing. But he met Jesus in an amazing way. And he ended up at one stage imprisoned in Philippi. 
About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. What did they do in difficult circumstances? They prayed and worshipped. They weren't negative, there was no pity party, oh, woe is us, look where we are, what what could we have done to be different? Why am I in this situation? No. They got up, they worshipped and prayed, and the other people listened. Paul actually said that he was glad of the situations because it helped to extend the gospel. They recognised who was in control and they trusted. James said, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and not lacking anything. Keep going, keep going, don't give up. The promise is a crown of life. Pat was one of those people who bore suffering stately. People wouldn't know what she was going through quite often because she was always cheerful. She never made a fuss. She just kept going. And she honoured God at all times and was often used to draw people to him. I've known her be in the hospital and, and people would just be drawn to her and, and talk to her about the Lord. She was amazing. She ran her race well and she reached the finishing line. I know others like her too. Let's look at Jesus. He was born in a stable, not the best of places to start. His life was in danger. He became a refugee. He lived in an occupied state. Not the best of situations to be in. I wonder what it was like for Mary and Joseph. They didn't have the best of starts in life with their new baby. How would I have felt if I'd been Mary being woken up in the middle of the night and told, we've got to go now. and just have to pick everything up and go. God trusted Joseph to be obedient. I wonder what life was like in Egypt as strangers. Were they accepted? We're not given any details of how long they were there or this time in Egypt, but according to records, Herod died in AD 4. Joseph would have been able to work as he was a carpenter, but they were still in a foreign land. They were strangers in a foreign land. So Jesus knew what it was like to go through difficulties. He's been there before us. He understands everything we go through. He never promised us an easy life. In fact, he said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So how do we face difficulties and disappointments? We may not face opposition like Jesus did when he was ministering. That didn't stop him even when he faced death there. He had a mission to fulfill and he even faced death for us on the cross. 
He knew what it felt like to be alone, to be betrayed, to have his friend deny knowing him. And yes, he did say, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But he also said, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours. I don't want my own way, he said. I want to do your will, God. So often we want the things that are difficult for us to be taken away. Pat never got her suffering taken away. She suffered a lot of pain all through her life, as long as I knew her. So how do we face these difficulties and disappointments? Do we sit down and say, that's it, like Elijah, I've had enough? Or do we remember that we have the Holy Spirit in us to help and strengthen us? We need to trust God to bring us through and look to him for strength. He's the one that strengthens us. When I was struggling in the 80s, looking after sick people and wondering how I was going to get through every day and finding life really difficult, I wrote this. Oh Lord, the way is so hard. The path is not easy to climb. There are times when I want to give up and go down and rest for a time. I stumble and struggle along. I'm not always sure of the way. I feel at times I'm travelling alone with no one to brighten my days. But you are the strength in my life. You give the help that I need. Without you, there's no meaning, just strife. To you, I will turn for my lead. There are obstacles blocking my way, and my fears soon become very real. Stones of discouragement are around. Doubt and guilt keep kicking my heels. I know when I get to the top, my labours will have been worthwhile. I shall see so much more from up there. The world stretches mile after mile. And you are the strength in my life. You give the help that I need. Without you, there's no meaning, just strife. To you, I will turn for my lead. So what do we do? Do we give up? Or do we get up and finish the race? God is there to help us. And sometimes, as with Peter, he says, Come on, get up. I've got a job for you. You might think you've slipped up. You might think you've failed. But I've got a work for you to do. Don't give up. Keep going. I know what I want to do. How about you?